Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Legal Frontiers podcast. My name is Stephen Minas. This episode features a conversation with Professor Emmanuel Tofig. Emmanuel holds the Chair in Public Law, Empirical Legal Research and Law and Economics at EBS Law School in Germany and is also Professor for Law and Economics at the EBS Business School. Uh, he is also Distinguished Scholar in Residence at the Peking University School of Transnational Law and Research Affiliate of the Max Planck Institute for Research on Collective Goods in Bonn. Emmanuel is also co-editor-in-chief of the German Law Journal. And our conversation focuses on the German Law Journal as an example of community building in transnational law, and also what it reflects about the broader state of the field. Welcome to the podcast, Emmanuel. Thanks for having me, Stephen. So, uh, Emmanuel, you have a very interesting perspective on uh, legal scholarship and legal publishing as one of the editors-in-chief of the German Law Journal. So I wonder if you could tell us a bit about the, the journal and about what you've learned about the state of legal scholarship, but also the state of legal publishing through this, through this role that you have. Yeah, first of all, again, thanks for having me and thanks for having me for one of the topics that is very dear to my heart, namely the German Law Journal. Um, the German Law Journal was founded um, in 1999 by um, per Zumbansen and Russ Miller in Germany, and it was basically reporting on developments in German law and making them accessible to a broader public Ever since then, in the past 20 years, it has evolved into a general interest audience law journal that aims at um, a global audience. From its first day, it had been an open access journal. So whatever texts Russ and Pear were, write, were writing, they were all available freely online. And so it was online only and open access long before open access was a thing. And in the past couple of years, we continued to um, develop the journal. And we thought about um, yeah, the DNA of the journal and thought that the DNA is really that it's accessible to everyone, that it's in some sense a very democratic um, and inclusive, diverse project. And so we de further developed the open access um, model uh, of the journal. And in the past couple of months or years, we've also been trying to broaden the editorial board, both in terms of topics and subject matter, but also in terms of um, where the editors come from, and um, what their take and view on the law is. Maybe one special feature that I might also mention is the special issues that we publish. Um, I think they're a signature feature of the journal. We give um, scholars the platform to run an entire issue um, on a coherent topic. And we try to um, give a platform, particularly to up and coming scholars, and if you look at the list of authors in the past, many of them have, in the meantime, um, become very successful academics. So I think we've had a good choice. And since uh, 2020, we've um, teamed up with Cambridge University Press, 
And this has also given us a boost in professionalization of our processes, but also in readership. So this is just to give a very brief and broad overview over the activities in the past 20 years of that journal. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's really developed into an extraordinary project in terms of both open access, as you said, but also addressing so many different issues. I mean, I'm looking at the recent special issues uh, here, uh, border justice, the right to be forgotten, uh, 20 challenges for the EU in 2020, religious diversity. So you're, you're really covering the field here. And as, as the editors have written, the, the German law journal is as much about Germany as the Harvard Law Review is about Harvard. So from, from those beginnings, it seems to have um, become a very ambitious undertaking. As, as one of the editors uh, in, at the center of this sprawling enterprise, the submissions you get, the pitches for special issues, um, what do these suggest about the currents of legal scholarship as they are currently? Yeah, so um, we try to be impactful and um, therefore we try to, as you've mentioned, um, cover topical areas. And what we see a lot, I mean, you've mentioned the past uh, special issues. And I think what we see a lot is yeah, that matter of of matters of transnationalism and globalism are um, currently on the rise. So, how does the law react to the different developments we are seeing in our parochial um, little systems? So, populism was also a big topic. Migration is a big topic. And we try to reflect these, but to reflect these in a deep way. Yeah, it's an interesting, I never thought about it as, as analyzing the, um, the incoming submissions in terms of where the currents of our fields are moving to. Uh, that, that would be an interesting undertaking, but I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, this is too spontaneous for me to probably respond to. I'm sorry. Not at all, not at all. Perhaps it's uh, the topic of an empirical uh, study in, in the future. As we are currently colleagues in a, in a law school that has the word transnational uh, in its name, uh, interestingly, only in the English version, that the Chinese translation is international rather than transnational. I've always wondered about that. Uh, but, but nevertheless, in the English version, a transnational law school, this, the word transnational has always been criticized as meaning everything and nothing at the same time. And, and people go back to, to Jessup's definition and, and perhaps nothing better has been in, uh, invented in the 60, 60 or 70 years since. The German law journal transnational in the sense of cross-border challenges, but as you said, going deep into, for example, the, the challenges of the European Union, the challenges of migration, is, is this something that we should be more aware of as we do our own work of trying to make these connections with broader currents that, that sometimes challenges because we only have so much expertise as individual scholars and as, as lawyers from certain jurisdictions? Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're asking someone who, you know, this, this is, this, as I said, this project is very dear to my heart and it is because it is the way it is. So because it is transnational and because I think that this is an important perspective. And by the way, I like the vagueness of the term. Uh, 
because it also gives a lot of leeway to think and have to have different approaches on globality, internationality, and 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 the law. But I think, you know, in in psychology there is this this concept of Gestalt, a vision of an object that you get by that builds up in some sense that emerges right and it's an emergent phenomenon and and i think that i like to think about law in that way i think we all have similar social quests and social problems to solve across the board everywhere in the world because humans are inherently similar you know they we 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 share a common fate and and as you see these days particularly you know with climate change and these topics i mean we are not separate we are united in this endeavor whether we want or not you know it's not a choice it's it's a fact and i think it's helpful to see how other systems are dealing with similar problems in a very different context and um, both in a different legal context and a different societal context and so on and so forth. And I think this allows us to have a broader view on the problems that we're dealing with. You know, it allows us to um, see aspects of these societal problems the law is always going to be challenged to solve. And through this more holistic vision of the task at hand, we are better um, yeah, equipped to solve that problem. And, and therefore, I think it's, it's very, very valuable. And our very parochial approach um, to, to law has merit, accounts for cultural differences, for you know, path dependencies, and so on and so forth. There's nothing that we'll be able to do away with. I think, at least not in the short term or in the mid midterm, but I think it's it's helpful to be informed, and I think that's at the heart of what the German Law Journal tries to do. So we try to be a general interest journal, and how can you be a general interest law journal with a, an, an international readership? I just have the figures, so we have like a, a monthly readership of our full text of around thirty five thousand. Right, so it's it's a massive readership. But why are these people interested in in what other people from other jurisdictions are writing? Well, because we try to get an angle to the problem that adds to everyone's view of their own problems and and, and how we can um, approach and and think about them. There's also another uh, another aspect of it, and that's the team and the community. So. We think of the German Law Journal as something close to a family's project, right? So we're, we try to build bonds and friendships and to develop perspectives on where we want to lead the journal and what content should be, what formats should be. So, for example, we have started last year a podcast series and video series of ourselves and so on. We try to um, keep the format modern. And I think it it uh, this is also helpful. Our editorial board meetings, where you meet lawyers from across the globe, they also are a transnational project and and uh, and foster transnational understanding. And I think you see that in the outcome of what we publish, 
because we try to be aligned. We try to have to, to share a vision and mission um, when publishing this journal. And, and my feeling is that helps us find and publish interesting content. And if you allow one more thing, <laughs> I think what's also distinctive about the journal is, again, the open access policy. And I think it's distinctive. Well, it, it helps us gain a broader audience and so on and so forth. I mean, that's, that's the obvious stuff. But I think it also um, influences our perspective on the law. So we say, um, I mean, this is quite uh, peculiar for a, an open access journal. So usually you don't pay a subscription fee for an open access journal. But we say, you know, um, we don't want an article processing charge either if you cannot afford it. So if you have a grant or if you can afford paying an, an article processing charge, then you are obliged to do so. But we want to be open not only to a global readership, but we also don't want to put barriers to other authors, particularly from the global south. And, you know, those people, in some sense, we're just shifting the problem when we say, okay, um, we switch from subscription-based to article processing charge. Um, yes, more people can read but fewer people can publish because they need to pay a substantial fee. And so for us, it was always important. And we're very grateful that CUP is going that way with us, that we um, have something that we call a voluntary article processing charge, which is only semi-voluntary because if you can afford it or if you have a grant, you have to pay it. Um, but uh, if you don't, if you can't afford uh, and paying to be published, then we'll, we're going to waive that fee. And that's not, that's not just, I mean, it, it does something to you when that's the way you think about publishing. And when you, if that's the way you think about inclusiveness. Uh, and I, I think that's, that has helped us. And the, the discussions around these models have helped us um, think about uh, the way we want to publish legal research and who we want to be and how we want to be recognized in the market of law reviews. Yes, I have so many questions on the basis of that, but it, it's interesting to reflect that you as, as a journal, as a community, have lived this experience, but you've also documented it and written about it in the German Law Journal about the economics of this and about some of those considerations about access and viability that you were discussing uh, just now. So these, this is a practical experience, but it's also one that you've reflected on as, as a group. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was, that was part of our journey. So when before joining or forces with Cambridge University Press, we were self-published and we had a considerable readership so that the, the, the way we counted hits and did the math was different earlier on. But what we could say is we had something like between 1,500 and 2,000 article views on any new published article um, in the first month. So that was already, already a substantial uh, amount. And when Cambridge approached us, that was already an interesting experience because Cambridge said, you know, we see the field is moving towards open access 
we want to make we want to gain experiences and we think it's good to have an established open access journal and work together with you guys rather than starting up something new and you know making it big and then see how it works so let's take something established let's take something that has an open access model already and let's see uh, how how we can work this out and we like that approach in the german law journal we thought you know it's true that um Basically, there's a lot of unaccounted um, investments going into publishing the German law journal. And if you want to be sustainable, you also have to foresee ways when certain things are, are not going to be, be possible. If you don't have great donors who are going to help you year over year. So you need a, a sustainable business model. And we thought it would be great to explore that together with Cambridge University Press. And we gave this a lot of thought. We and we made very clear to Cambridge University Press, we would love to join forces, but it's non-negotiable that we stay open access. We won't. Be, you won't be able to take us off open access after if you see we don't find a viable model. And they said, yeah, that's fine. But let's let's try and work work out a model. Luckily, it it looks like with this voluntary article processing charge, we have found a model where um, people who can afford contribute a fair share. So it's still a very moderate price. Um, it's a thousand pounds, which is a considerable number, but compared to other open access journals, article processing charges, it's a fair amount, um, a rather small amount. And uh, at the same time, we um, uh, take part in read and publish agreements. We take a share there. So uh, all in all, it looks like we're getting there and we're finding a, a sustainable way to run this journal. I mean, I have to say that it's still a, um, the production profits um, in many ways, and not only financially, but content-wise, and I should have mentioned that much earlier, from a great, great, great student editors team in the US. So this is another part maybe of our DNA. <laughs> Um, and a way we try to bridge systems. So we have peer review on the one hand and an established um, publishing house that publishes the German law journal. And at the same time, we've taken what we consider to be the best part of the US law review system, namely a very diligent review and, and editing work by student editors, which both sides benefit from. So our international authors benefit from, um, you know, native speakers working over the article and smart, smart students are asking smart, smart questions. You know, I don't get that, that passage in, in the article. Maybe is there a way to streamline it or to make it clearer and so on? And our authors most of them really love the feedback and and the the lot the, the great amount of work that the student editors put in there and at the same time for them it's a great experience to be exposed to international scholarship of top scholars and to work with an, a global editorial board and and so on so i think there's many aspects many pieces to this puzzle that on on the one hand make it unique and uh, on the other hand, that are, I think, signature elements and, and parts of the success story. So there's a, there's a rather hybrid in terms of the editorial process, but also in terms of a rather interesting economic model, which has been developed uh, between 
the journal and 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 CUP. And it's interesting, actually, one of obviously CUP, one of the largest uh, academic publishers, that we see this dynamic in so many different industries where there's change, there's there's technological change, and then of course you have incumbents who are on the one side trying to squeeze every last dollar out of the old business model and then others who are trying to tweak or experiment or innovate or change to sometimes even to be first movers or at least first movers amongst the incumbents in uh, in changing development and i can only commend cambridge university press there they are doing a fabulous job i mean they're not for profit and and maybe that makes it easier but you really see how dear scholarship and publishing scholarship is dear to their hearts. And, and, and it has been a, a, a fantastic journey together with them. I really, I mean, Andrew Hyde is our main point of contact there. And it's, and it's just, it's just amazing. I had another question about the online only nature of the journal. Now, of course, in 2021, this isn't particularly remarkable, but, but over 20 years ago, uh, to be an online-only journal uh, was actually a statement of a kind about the future as well as about the model for the journal. So it's it's interesting to see that the world has moved in that direction um, that was set out uh, all those years ago. Yeah, I must say that the two founders of the journal, Russ Miller and Petson Bunsen, they were just great visionaries and the the journal owes a great debt to them. Um it's it's and then, I mean it's really their baby and it, both aspects open access and online only were you know they were pioneers at at the day at the time they saw what the future where the future was going and and they 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 did it and we're profiting from that I mean we've had challenges along the way too so. Um, we have been hacked a number of times. One time, uh, the journal was down for an entire month, which was um, when the, when we published a special issue on the Ukraine. And um, apparently, the hacking IP addresses came from uh, a Russian uh, geographic area. Uh, the rest of it is speculation. This is what we know for sure. We don't know who was really behind it. But these were the challenges early on also that the German Law Journal had to face, right? Um, before, you know, people started thinking about uh, securing uh, these kind of websites and, and access to knowledge and so on. And it was also very interesting because we saw in some sense how political our research is and, and not, not just the research. I mean, I mean, of course, the topic, I mean, if you write about the Ukraine, in some sense, it's it's political. But I think with our approach to uh, address the global legal community, uh, this is something inherently uh, political too, right? And, and uh, we, we learned that in, the, in these instances and um, we've worked hard. Uh, so we, we've had another hacking attempt a couple of months ago. We were able to fence that off. It was, so we've, we've learned. <laughs> So you're, you're, you're living the economics of the internet, but also the security elements of the internet uh, as well. Uh, this, this is indeed a long way from the old vision of what a law journal was and yeah. what editors did. Yeah, that's true. One more question about the model, because it seems to me that open access online is 
taking a position about who legal scholarship is for and, and what it's for. And it's, it's, it's not for those who have an institutional login, essentially. It's, it's a broader community than that, isn't it? Absolutely. I think that's the, the, the this really, I mean, when I speak about democratizing uh, legal scholarship, I think that's what, what we're thinking of. You know, the Southern Hemisphere or, you know, South America, India, Asia, um, where maybe finances aren't as uh, abundant as in many systems that we all come from. Um, and also where maybe the publishing and the research cultures are different. So that's one of the things that, that we've been discussing a lot in the past months and with our latest extension of the editorial board, one of the aspects we wanted to address was that. So we were thinking, you know, we get, if you look at it, I think more than 80% of our submissions are from Europe. And why is that? So um, maybe people don't read English, maybe, you know, but maybe it's also because the publishing culture and the, the way um, you write legal scholarship is very different, and we have that. So, so we see that our that the rate of uh, articles we turn down that are from non-Anglo-Saxon European um, um, sources or uh, is higher, right? And of course, we don't want to compromise on quality. But there might be something to the way you write articles or the way you think about the law that might be challenging the predominant Western way of thinking about the law and where we should be more cautious and which we should invite, right? So this is, and, and we thought one of the ways to do that is to have people in these regions who are not, you know, um, who are not somehow, you know, third generation <laughs> emigrants who have come to a, and are now at one of the great universities or research institutions, but who are really in the in the region and who do who do great scholarship and who have who have some connection to the international discourse, but who because that, and that's how we know them, um, but who also have a connection to the local and regional discourses. And where we can, because we work a lot with our authors on their on their pieces, and the the hope would be that this would be a way to identify great researchers and good research, and help them um, where necessary to kind of I don't know bring the research into the form and format that we're um, accustomed to in international law reviews. Um, but to also ourselves become more sensitive uh, to other ways of doing research and of writing texts and so on and so forth. And I think the German Law Journal is wonderfully equipped to do that because now we have people, we're, we're building up a network of people truly globally um, in all the regions. We have these wonderful student editors who help with language and uh, the format and and the form of articles, um, and and we have you know editors who are like scouts, scouting uh, exciting new research everywhere in the world. So uh, I think it's an it's, it's an exciting direction we're taking, and yeah, and 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 this only works. I mean, it's only logical to have an open access scheme then, right? I mean, you can't ask for I don't know. 
South Asian lawyers to write and then uh, take a 3,000 pound open art uh, article processing charge. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. Right? Indeed. The image of scouting research and scouting uh, new scholarly outputs reminded me of the early years of the globalization of football where the, uh, the managers like Arsene Wenger who had contacts all over the world were able to to, uh, to unearth talent. But I think it's a, it's a very apt simile because the centers have so much to learn from the periphery. Yes. And I think you're absolutely right that those at the centers need to take the trouble and take the time to understand and not just expect that everything is put into the, the format that they expect before, before you look at it. I think that's, that's very important. And we're losing something because... I mean, our formats create blind spots, and and I think there's there's so it's it's also in some sense uh, I don't know <laughs> to our own benefit. It's egoistic, if you will. It's not just you know in some generous way inviting. You know, it's it's a sincere interest and and uh, the belief that uh, in being inclusive and incorporating other approaches, other perspectives, other formats will enrich ourselves and will make what we do better. Indeed. A, a final question. Um, if amongst our audience, someone's listening who is considering submitting to the German Law Journal, uh, perhaps a younger scholar, uh, what would you say uh, to somebody in that position? Absolutely. I mean, um, we invite submissions. We, we So we have learned that with moving to Cambridge University Press, this, the submissions we receive have increased. And while being an online-only open access journal gave us the benefit of being very, very quick, we have come to turnover times of about a year now too. And we try to work on that. But um, so you need to be a little bit patient, even if it's online only, you might not be used to that. But that's just the demand we're, we're facing, we're working on. But I would definitely encourage anyone who listens and, and who has some great um, piece to, to publish to, to consider the, the German Law Journal. So what we're looking for is really Again, we're, we're trying to be a general audience law review. So um, if you think about submitting to us, you should ask yourself, is there an angle to my research and to my question and to, to the answers I find that people in remote other areas of the world in the four corners can also benefit from? So we're not interested in a parochial doctrinal problem usually i mean there's always exceptions and you might learn something in that respect too but there should be some sort of transnational angle or comparative angle or something that generalizes um to to other areas or jurisdictions but then i mean we're curious we uh, we have a policy that we really try to foster and and support younger authors so um, don't um, feel held back by, you know, great names or whatever. It's really, we look for cutting edge, new ideas. And um, yeah, I can only warmly encourage anyone uh, to, to submit their interesting thinking to us.
and also our special issue calls. Um, so if, if you have uh, teamed up with other colleagues and are working together on a, on a topical subject matter area, which has like different aspects and yeah, look out for our um, calls for special issues and submit your research there too. Well, Emmanuel, thank you very much for this discussion. It was my pleasure, Stephen. Thank you for having me again.